Now that is quite a text. Ruby, I'm going to have you read every week. It just it, This is a John Wilson text, don't you think, John? Uh, I've wondered if I can even bring it nearly as powerfully as just the reading of this text. As, as I was preparing all week, I was uh, in Chicago most of the week, and it made me think about this text a lot. And one of the things that made me think about it was everybody there was complaining about the weather. Uh, it's cold and this winter already seems to be so long and it's still February. It's going to continue on. Everybody said we're going to move to California where it has to be better. And then they'd complain also not just about weather, about the, about Chicago and Illinois politics. And not a one said we're going to go to California for the better politics. <laughs> I, I, can you figure that one out? I can't. I can't quite figure that. Then yesterday, I called my dad back in Bluefield, West Virginia, where they have had the worst winter they have had in his memory. The snow is piled so high at my family home that you can't even see out the kitchen window. They hadn't been able to get out for two weeks until yesterday. They finally got out. So I think the whole state of West Virginia is going to move to California, too, to, to be here. And in fact, thinking again, you'll see eventually I'll get there about this text. I began to realize that every place I've gone in the world, every place, people had something about their community or their uh, uh, political leaders or about their society that simply wasn't quite right. Things that, that they said would, needed to be different. Even those kind of ha glass half full people who are very, very optimistic and positive. If you spend enough time with them. They would say, oh, there's, there are all these things happening here uh, around us that just are not, uh, going, are not going right. Even the, here in California, even when we have such fantastic weather, we still sometimes say, oh, we're not getting enough rain. And then when we get rain, it's too much rain. It's going to have mudslides. So th this is simply the way that we are, and it's simply the way that our world is. At the same time, as I've been talking about throughout our series in Genesis, uh, embedded, it seems, in every culture are these epic stories that look back to a time in the world when things were better. And then they usually have in those stories a time where trouble came in and eventually are looking forward in those stories to another time when everything will be made right. And when it's made right at the end of these great epic stories, there is going to be a great celebration. And always in that celebration... When, when everything is made right, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be food. Food's always a part of it. There's always going to be a big, big uh, banquet that takes place. I was talking with my daughter Heather this last week. We were there in Wheaton with her and, and our grandchildren. And she's an English teacher. In fact, she taught a course in the public schools in the Chicago area on this very thing. These epic stories embedded within cultures. And so she started rattling off the stories that she had her students read. Jason and the Argonauts, Odysseus, Oedipus, Agamemnon, and of course the ones we've been making movies out of, The Lord of the Rings, ending with that great celebration in the Shire, or, or the one that often in churches that we love, the children's ones, the uh, Narnia Chronicles, with that fantastic seventh book and the way that it, that it ends there. And all of that does bring us, as you knew, to uh, Luke chapter 14, right? You knew we'd get there, right? Luke chapter 14 and Jesus telling a parable as he is headed toward the cross. What, what you have to see here is from Luke chapter 9, I think it's verse 51, all the way through the rest of the gospel of Luke, Jesus sets his face to head toward Jerusalem where he knows he's going to die. 
So he knows he lives in a world that is not the way it should be. And that's why he's come. To remake things. To offer the opportunity for people to be forgiven of our role in things going wrong, of our sins. And to be remade. And that God is indeed going to do it. He really goes back to the very thing that I talked about in my last message. That indeed the Bible tells this story about the world. That in the beginning there was a better day. Genesis 1 and 2. Garden of Eden and a paradise. And then things went wrong. Genesis 3. And they've been going wrong ever since. But it's not going to go wrong forever because God is. Because God reigns and he promises there's going to be another day. And in the book of Revelation, we find in that another day, we're going to have a celebration when all of us who have been remade through faith in Christ come together. And it's all going to culminate, Revelation 19, in the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be great, great food. Now, it's interesting that Jesus is going to tell a story about that in Luke chapter 14 on his way to the cross. And essentially what he's doing is this. He says, listen, I have come and I'm going to die. But I want you to know that that death is not going to be the end. Physical death will not be the end. I'm going to defeat death by a resurrection. And there's going to be another day that is going to come. So he makes us, in the midst of our difficult world, look at the end. Do you know that maxim? We begin today with the end in mind. So that we can look at where we are and we can head toward that beautiful, beautiful ending. And the story that he tells, Luke chapter 14, the parable of the great banquet, the story that he tells on the way to the cross is one that makes us look at this great banquet that is open to all people. And we should ask the question then, who is going to be there? Who's going to be at that great banquet of God? And the answer that Jesus gives in his story is very unexpected. He says it's going to be the humble. Not the people we usually invite to our banquets. I'll show you again. You heard Ruby read it so powerfully. But in verse 11, we have that great statement of this, what I, I think of and many have thought of as this upside down kingdom that we like to think about who's on the top. But Jesus lets us know that those who are on the top really should use that to serve others. So that he says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus was there at a banquet at the time and Jesus said to his host, so when you give a banquet, you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. This is telling because most people in his world thought that these sorts of people were not blessed by God. Jesus is just overturning our whole way of thinking. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So that when one of them who was sitting at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed are those who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And in their thinking, that would only be the blessed, which would be those who were the powerful and, and, and the successful. So essentially, Jesus is now going to tell a story in which he says, Listen to me, there is, God is going to bring things to completion. And when he does, there is going to be a great banquet like none we have ever seen in this world. But you need to think about who's going to be there. And it probably will not be the people that you expect to be there. And he gives to us a great, great warning. And the warning is that we have to look into our hearts. 
to find out if we're the kind of humble hearts who will be at the banquet of God. And so here we are on our first Sunday of Lent. We are looking at Jesus walking toward the cross. And on, on our Lenten season, John, as you pointed out so clearly, what we want to do is to begin this journey, look inside of ourselves to see if there are things about us that are not yet what God would have them be. And the story that Jesus tells helps us to look at this particular part of ourselves. I've, I've put this little card in the worship folder, and I hope that you can find one. It's very simple. We may be putting one of these in each week in this Lenten season. What I've thought is we'll, we'll look and see what God says to us today. Because I pray that by the time we get to the end of this journey, God will have shown us many things about ourselves and that we will have, gone, have found hope and some of the work of God's renewal taking place as then when we get together and celebrate Easter, we will simply say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So today, what we want to look at particularly in this first Sunday of Lent is whether we have those kind of humble hearts who will be present at the banquet of God. How does God measure this? And the story that Jesus tells helps us to see it. Measurement number one. I've called it the humility of patience. Does that make any sense to you? And by that I mean we have to have humility to be able to give in our time schedules and surrender them to God's time schedule. The humility to be able to wait upon God even when we don't see exactly what he's doing. Look at verse 16 as Jesus begins the story. Now, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. Now, here's the point that I want you to see in the story. An invitation to come to the banquet went out long before the banquet actually took place. So people received the announcement, the invitation, but they had to stay in their current situations for a period of time only known to the host until finally the banquet would happen. And sometimes when we know things are going to be better, there's going to be something great coming in the future. We don't want to wait. We want it right now. And sometimes we become very impatient with God and we think we have a better time schedule than he does. Now I've, I keep thinking, how do I explain this? And here I'll, I'll try to set two different examples in juxtaposition to one another. First, you know, when I was in uh, school, I was often in choirs. And uh, in those choirs, we'd have choir tours. John, you've led many of these, haven't you? And you, on a choir tour, you would have to have all the students get there and they're supposed to be there on time. But not all were always there. Or in more recent years, I've led tours to biblical lands like to, to Israel or to Turkey or to, to Greece. And sometimes you'd have one bus with 40 people or you'd take two buses with 80. But no matter what, there was always at least one person in that party who was never on time. Amen. That was, you can tell by my frustration. Where is that person? We told them we were going to leave it. Eight, knowing that we were leaving at 8.30 and they're still not here. <laughs> and so you know what happens? We, we get irritated because we feel like our schedules are as important as, as his or her schedule, right? And uh, we feel like they're ruining this whole, this whole tour for us. And we feel offended uh, that they have not considered us in this situation. We become very, very impatient and agitated. Now, in contrast to that, I, I remember a time back when I was first a, a Christian university president, that 12 of us who headed up Christian uh, universities were invited to go to the White House. 
Um, it was when the faith-based initiatives were first being discussed and there was so much controversy. I mean, everybody looked at the evidence and saw that faith-based institutions, uh, like our foundation, were able to do much more cost-effective work in the community. Everybody knew that than, than just the government agencies. But there was such suspicion all around about whether this could actually happen. Do you remember this? Um, and so on one side, some people said, oh, wait, this sounds like the separation of church and state is going to work. And those of us who are in the faith-based institutions were also suspicious because we didn't want um, uh, to have this entanglement. There's always going to be strings attached. So 12 of us were invited, and the invitation came from the president. And the president said he was going to be there. And believe it or not, all 12 of us said yes. Not one of us, not one of us turned down. So I'll not forget. We were sitting there in the conference room, the 12 of us who were there. We'd been waiting for a while. And then a representative of the president came in and uh, talked to us. And he said, uh, there has just been called an unexpected emergency teleconference call of all the chiefs of state of our major allies. So the president said he will be here, but you have to wait. And I remember thinking, we have to wait, okay. And then that we had to wait a long time. A long time. He eventually did come, and we had this opportunity to have that discussion. But I'll tell you, in that long waiting period, I remember it well. Not a one of us complained. Not a one of us became impatient. It, it just was deep down inside. We knew something. We knew that what he was dealing with was more important than our time. And that uh, that issue was one that we, we should be willing to say, okay, whatever my card says about this great job title, uh, my time isn't as important as what is being dealt with here. I, I thought, what is the difference between that and, 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 and this choir tour bus uh, that you wait upon people? One thing is for sure. Anytime we have to wait for another person, there is a values judgment being there. We have to be humble enough to wait upon the timing of the other person. Now, coming back to this parable, what Jesus really is talking about is that God is the one who has invited us to come into his feast. God is the one who invites us to come into his family. And yet we're in a process time now. He, he's not done with his work. And until he completes his work, then there, there is this prolonged period of time where we still will come in and have little experiences of the presence of God, but he still isn't done with his work yet. And we go right back into some of the great, great difficulties, don't we? Sometimes we wonder, why is it taking so long? We have the, uh, fail in the same temptation. We, we go back into the very same e economic trouble that we had before we cannot figure out why that relationship with our child or with our parent or what can can find reconciliation why isn't god working now and sometimes don't we, we become impatient we don't know why god is waiting and and we want him to do things according to our time schedule rather than us trusting him oh occasionally in the midst as god does his work uh, using this banquet imagery, occasionally we'll get a little whiff of the banquet knowing that God is there. You know how he breaks into our lives and lets us know he hasn't forgotten us? I pray that that happens when we come to church, that you come into this place. Maybe you've been facing some really tough times and you come in here and you just sense God is still there. He hasn't forgotten me and, and your faith is renewed. But then you go back in, into the difficulty. I want you to know that this parable is saying you need to learn to wait upon him. The lesson that I see here is this. To have the humility to trust God's timing. To be able to wait upon what he is doing. 
So many of Jesus' parables will talk about that. It will say, listen, the work of God, this rule of God is like a seed, he says in the Gospel of Mark. It's planted and it's going to take a while for that seed to grow into something significant. It's going to happen. But until he's, he's done, we've got to humble ourselves to wait and be faithful to him until he completes his work. Parents, don't we understand this? I mean, how many of us have had these times where we've planned these uh, family vacations We've saved money up for it. We've talked about it. We're going to go to Hawaii or to, uh, to the mountains to ski or whatever we just love to do. And the day comes, we hop in that car together with our kids. And I'll tell you, within 15 minutes of going to the airport or 15 minutes of driving to the mountains, they're saying, are we there yet? Why is this taking so long? And then the kids start fighting with one another. They grow impatient. Well, maybe this is just our family. I, I, I know it. I know it's not. And parents, we try to say, listen, it's going to be worth it. But there's still a journey to take. We, we've, got to, we've got some place that, that we have to go until we get there. You've got to trust us on this one. And that's what God's word says again and again and again. There will be a banquet. It is going to be worth it. But God says, I still have other people I want to invite in. And I still have work in your own life that I want to do. And so as we begin our Lenten journey, our first question, if you'll take this out, the first question I want you to wrestle with is this one. Am I humble enough to surrender my time schedule to God? And when we just can't understand why He is waiting, to engage in this intentional act of trust, say, Father, I don't see it, but I will trust You and I will be faithful to You as I wait upon You. Which brings me then to the second measure. I call it the humility of grace. The humility to be able to receive a free gift that we don't deserve. A a free gift where we can't brag about it. A free gift to go to a banquet where we have no personal acclaim. Look at verse 17. At the time of the banquet, he then sent his servant to tell those who had been invited to come. For everything is now ready or everything has been prepared for you. Now, I keep being told that there are people in our world who like to crash parties. Maybe some of you are among them. You see this wedding party over here and you try to sneak in and act like you. I'm looking to see what kind of people go to Lake Avenue Church. People say it's a lot of fun, but I tell you, for most of us, it may not be all that much fun, especially if we come into a party where everybody who is there has sort of earned their way to be there. I mean, can you imagine if Caltech or JPL decided that they were going to call together a group of the greatest scientists of the world. And to begin it, they were going to have a big, big celebration and a banquet. And as you're standing around there in that circle and everybody's talking about, no, this is, this is what my work involves. This is what I'm trying to discover right now. Uh, talking about some of the scientific endeavors and thoughts that are going on. And then they turn to you and say, what are you working on these days? I tell you how I'd feel. I'd say, I hope I get laryngitis right now, right now. You see, most of us, when we get into those kind of settings, when we don't feel like we really belong, we feel rather awkward. Did did you ever watch the old Seinfeld shows? George Costanza got himself into this situation all the time. And being in a place where he doesn't belong, what do you do? Oh, well, 
I'm an architect, he, he would say, or I'm dating one of the shows, I'm dating a supermodel. Well, none of that, none of this was true. It's just we like to feel like we're worthy of being in this place. That we're not there simply by somebody's pity or, or mercy to us. And yet here we have this banquet of God where Jesus says, listen, it's not like human banquets. In this banquet, not a single person deserves to be there. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. So we have to rethink this whole thing. It's God's value system is very different from ours. This is not like a, a, you know, a, a political banquet, campaign banquet, where only those who had a lot of money and pay big time money get to go there and, and be with the political candidate. It's not like that. And, you know, I've spent so much of my time in the Midwest. It's not even like a Midwest potluck where if you get to come to this potluck, you've got to bring, you know, your uh, tuna casserole or your or your lime jello with little mandarin oranges kind of floating around in there. And you can say, oh, I brought something. I deserve to be here. It's not like that. It's something where we have a longing to be at the banquet. But no, we don't deserve to be there. And it's only by God's grace that we're able to be there. And you know, this is something that sets the Christian faith apart from other religions. And other religions are always these ways that you can sort of say, I did this. I meditated a lot. I got in touch with my spiritual side. I even got involved in justice issues. So I, I deserve to be here. But the Bible says, no, no, no. Every one of us has fallen short. We have been dead to God. This is one of the ways... That underscores that Christianity was almost certainly not created by a human mind. We wouldn't create a religion like this because we want a religion where we can tell people, well, I, I ought to be here. And, and, and the Christian faith says we don't. And he had to do it all. I was told after the first service that Ray Ortland used to say, when we sing that old gospel hymn, Jesus paid it. We don't say Jesus paid 80 percent, 80 percent to him I owe. He paid it all. All, all to him I owe. I'll just show you one passage just to nail this thing. Ephesians chapter 2, 5 and then on to 8 and 9. God made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one, can boast. Now, when you look at that on one side, isn't that a beautiful message that God offers you the opportunity to be at the banquet? He says, I know where you've fallen short and yet I, I, I love you and I want to welcome you into my family. On the other side, as beautiful as it is, it is so humbling. It is so humbling. To look around and realize we don't deserve to be here. It is only by his grace. And so it brings me to the second question of our Lenten journey. Can you say, will you say with me, Father, I also am among those undeserving of being in your family. I know I have sinned as badly as anyone in the world. Can we own that? I know that if I will be at your banquet, it will only be by your mercy and by your grace. Which brings me, this will open the door to the third measure of evaluating ourselves. If we have that heart, then we'll have the humility 
of humble associations. And by humble, I mean the value system of the world. A willingness to be fully identified with what I call God's unexpected family. Because this family of God, as John Wilson was saying earlier, has a bigger uh, uh, bandwidth than most people in our world are at all comfortable with. So look what he said. First of all, in talking uh, to the host there at the banquet he was attending, when you give a banquet, you've got to do it differently. You invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. Don't just invite people who will invite you back. And then he tells the story. So the owner of the house, when he saw that people he'd invited didn't come, became angry. And he ordered his servants, now you go out there, you go out quickly, go into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in to my banquet the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. This is as hard a hitting a text as I have ever read in the Bible. And I'll tell you what I do when I read these verses now that I live in Southern California. And especially at this time of year, what I keep thinking about are all these articles I keep reading in the L.A. Times Uh, right around the times of the Grammy Awards and the Oscar Awards about the parties that happened after the awards were over and how you have the A-list parties and the B-list parties. You have the first-tier parties and the second-tier parties and how everybody wants to be at the A-list parties with the most famous people, the most fun people, the best-looking people, the people who will bring bring you prestige simply because you're seen there with them. Now, knowing this... That this value system is there that, that we, and all people are like this, but maybe we Southern Californians are most prone toward this. Knowing this, that we like to be with people who sort of bring us some prestige. We like to be with fun people. I mean, we like to be with successful people. I can't, I've been wondering all week, how is this text going to hit us? It just clashes with the value system of our world, but it shows you the heart of God. It's a demonstration of Genesis 1 that I've been preaching. That God sees all people as made in His image. All people as needing His grace, but for whom grace is available. And and that when we enter in, we get to be in God's family. But when we enter in, we've got to know He's going to ask us to be in a family with a lot of people that the rest of the world and the world's value systems would not at all value. And so with this beautiful message... Almost always in the history of the world, beginning with biblical times, people who felt like they were on the margins of society have run to Jesus. Now just read through the Gospel of Luke and you'll see it. They just run to Jesus. But then some things happen to us. They're good in one sense, but it can do something to our inner beings and why we have to do this at Lent. What happens to us is, first of all, we experience the forgiveness of Christ. We recognize this new dignity that comes from knowing that God has given himself to us. That he's with us. We, we begin to experience the transforming power of Christ to free ourselves from addictions. Actually, him setting us free. We begin reading things like the book of Proverbs telling us how to work and how to be good stewards of our money. And, and, and Christians have always sort of begun to rise in society, especially here in the Western world, committing themselves to getting better education, sending their kids, making sure they get better education. And so what we have are, are churches and, and we're among them. Where there's so many of us, I mean, your pastor, I've been to school forever and, you know, you, you, you come back and, and you look at this and you say, this, this is not quite the crippled, the lame and the poor and the blind all of the time. What, what happens is as we rise in society, sometimes we begin to feel uncomfortable being associated with the whole of this bandwidth of the family of God. Am I saying this clearly? 
Um, we, we're almost embarrassed about some of the simple notions of, of Christian faith. Like this idea that we can't do it ourselves. You've got to be born again. Oh, born again. I don't even like that term. Born again. So maybe I can do it a different way. Maybe we can become more like other religions. We begin to think deep down. Uh, we, we think, well, other religions say meditation is good. We can do that. We can share meditation. Uh, other religions say it's good to, to nurture that spiritual side of your being. We can do that. Uh, other religions say you should do good things. Get involved in justice ministries. We can do that, but then that we can, we can, we can becomes a, a, a basis for pride. And it starts becoming something we do for those people over there rather than this biblical message of we're going to be in one family together. Listen to me. Um, when you go in, into the challenging areas of our urban settings in the U.S. or you go to the poor areas of Africa or Latin America or other places, the kind of churches that are thriving among the marginalized, hold on to this simple message that, that we're hopeless without Christ and that we need to be made alive through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. I ask myself, why is it that others that sort of have focused only on trying to reach out to the marginalized, why is it that they have not taken root within those communities? And I'll tell you why. Because what God calls us to do is not just to sort of do nice things for people out there, but to invite people to the banquet with us. Do you, do you see the difference? He brings us into the family with him. And, and, and so that changes everything. It changes everything. We see all people as God sees people. And we are just so thankful to be in that family with them. And if they are disrespected by the rest of the world, then we just say, well, I, I shouldn't be here either. Remember point two? It's by God's grace that I get to be here. Come join the family. Let's enjoy the banquet together. And that transforms Christian community. It's why I have this deep longing actually to see a community where we are going out into the streets and bringing people into the family of God to, to worship together with us as brothers and sisters. Uh, I think that the principle is so clear as I've read it. I, I wrote it here for you. You can see it and think about it. It seems to me that the closer we are to the power and prestige in our culture, the more likely we are to be put off by the simple gospel of Jesus. And so in this Lenten season, I really want us to look inside of our hearts. It's, it's with that knowing that that's true, that Jesus turns to people after others didn't want to be there. And he says, you go out into the streets. You go and be with people. You, you share your life with people. The very thing that's given rise to our foundation. Develop relationships. You mentor people. And when you enter into a relationship with them, you will see the image of God in them. And not only will they find hope, your life will be changed. And so our third question on our Lenten journey. Am I ready to be identified with a church family that includes those who are disrespected or ignored by our society as a whole. Because that is the family that God calls us into. And, and when we are, our heart should be, thank you, Lord, that I have the privilege of being in a family like this. Which brings me to the last measure, and our time goes so quickly, but the last measure I've called the humility of priority. The humility to surrender what is so important to me to the priorities of God. 
Look at, look at what happens. When, when the time for the invitation came, they all alike began to make excuses. So the first said, listen, I've, I've just bought a field, so I have to go and see it. I can't believe he bought a field he'd never seen. But, but anyway, please excuse me. Another said, I, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Well, same question applies, I guess. Please excuse me. The third one, that seems like a really good excuse. I just got married. I can't come. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. It's so hard hitting. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Notice that those who did not come would have all been professing believers. When the invitation had come, they said yes. But when the real call came, they said no. My priorities are greater than than the banquet throwers priorities are. And this has been the measure of what Christians around the world have called nominal Christianity. Do you know that that phrase? Just being a Christian in name only. So so we want we often are willing to kind of say, okay, I'll I'll give into this Christian faith. What do I get out of it as long as God will further our agendas? But when you know when God breaks into our lives, as I tried to point out, when God was standing there alongside of uh, Adam, the one who had spoken creation into being, it wasn't Adam who was going to have power over him. <laughs> it just wasn't going to. And the same is true with us. When we enter into a relationship with God, he becomes the Lord. Uh, Jesus is the king of this new kingdom. And so what he insists upon is that his priorities will come first. And he asks us to trust that his priorities will be better than ours. And yet it takes so much humility to have some deep longing in our hearts for something, and then God say, no, not that, but this. Uh, where it really comes down to it, what, what if, I mean, if we use the illustrations that he uses, what if doing things his way will keep us from making as much money as doing it the way we think we'd like to do it? Are we followers of Jesus or not? And with this third one, this one about marriage, I've thought about this. What if a commitment to the values of Jesus narrowed that pool of people that we could marry because we are to be committed to people who also are committed to Jesus? Are we willing? You see what I'm getting at? How, uh, the, the, the humility to give our priorities over his priorities and you see as Jesus is walking toward the cross he says I love you I love you God so loves the world that he sent his son I love you so much I'm going to give my life but if you enter into this banquet if you're you're going to know forgiveness and a new life I must be Lord and his warning is not vague that verse 24 if we do not Let God be God. First commandment. Nothing in the place of God. We won't get a taste of the banquet. And so the fourth question on our journey. Am I putting God into his rightful place? Is God first in my life? Or have I put something else, even myself, into his place? Are my priorities God's priorities? And so we come to bring our service to a close even as John did earlier I want to close the service in the same way I want us to have a few moments of prayer and response 
Um, I'll put in front of you the verse that sets the stage for all of this from verse 11 of Luke 14. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted at the banquet of God. So if, if you would bow your heads, if you'd like to pull out the kneelers in front and, and have a few moments as I guide us through this time, I would like you to do so. Allow God to do his work in your heart as we begin Lent together. As we are in this place and position of prayer, on this first Sunday of Lent, will you together with us here acknowledge that God's word calls you to examine yourself to see if you have that humble heart that Jesus wants of all of us as his children. So first, do you have the humility to wait for God's timing? Maybe you've just want, wanted to give up, find a different church, find a, something different. Not to be faithful. God hasn't done it yet. I won't wait upon him. Will you take time this, today to consciously, intentionally say, Father, I will wait upon you. I don't understand what's happening. But I will seek to be faithful to you while I wait upon you. Or maybe, especially in those second two questions, as you have been walking with the Lord and have served and worked hard, you've almost forgotten at times that when we see others in the world who are hurting, even if they put themselves into that mess through drugs or gang involvement or whatever else, can you really look and say, well, there but for the grace of God go I? Even as you gather here today, can you let the Spirit of God shine His light into your heart and show you that there still are areas that need to be surrendered to Him? And with a humble heart say, Father, thank You for Your grace. So that as you look at others, you won't hold them at arm's length, but will make a commitment to be willing to go out wherever God has placed you, into the streets, into our community. And share the life of Christ with others. To be with people. Not to hold those made in the image of God at arm's length. And perhaps, as always, the greatest challenge. Are you willing to trust God's priorities? God first. Is there something you may have put in the place of God. Even now will you give that to Him. Father, speak to us. We so much long that at the end of this service and then at the end of our Lenten journey that our lives will be more of what you would have them to be than they are at this point. So open our eyes even to some of those things we've tried to deny. Remind us of your love and of your grace. Father, I pray as, as the pastor here that no one will go home today without knowing hope. 
because you love us and are ready to receive us. So speak to us now. We continue to give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.